So the, the word I'm going to communicate is a word that's good for any year, every year. New Year's res resolutions come and go, but God's eternal principles are here to stay. Can I get a big amen? amen. Philippians 3, in the, the context here, he's encouraging a church in Philippi of Macedonia. This is the first church he planted in Europe. And God moved mightily, and Paul cast the demons out of the wrong person. The people that were making money off of this tormented soul falsely accused them, had them thrown in prison and beaten. And so when Paul let the authorities know that he was a Roman citizen, they wanted him to leave town. So he has special interest in this church, having not spent a lot of time with them, he uh, had heard some good things about him, and so he's encouraging them while he's in jail again. The Philippian jail experience included a miracle, a taste of heaven. <laughs> An earthquake happened, and they were delivered in the middle of the night while they were praising the Lord. They still had a reason to praise, even though their backs were bleeding and their feet in stocks, cast in the inner cell with the bats, the rats, and the smell. And yet, they kept praising the Lord, and lo and behold, they were set free. The earthquake was so violent, even their chains fell off. And the jailer and his family got saved, baptized that night, and their wounds were washed. It was a glorious time. Now Paul is incarcerated again. I'm sure he sang some of the same songs, but the same response didn't happen. But he was thankful for what had happened. And so in his discouraging circumstances, he writes encouragement to others, who knows that's important? We always have a reason to praise, no matter what we're going through. Martin Luther King Sr., the father of the famous son, is a real hero to me. He lost his famous son. He was assassinated in Tennessee one day. His other son died a mysterious death, drowned in his own swimming pool at 2 a.m. Could have been an assassination, we'll never know. And then one Sunday, a crazed gunman came into Martin Luther King Sr.'s church to kill him. He wasn't there that Sunday, so the gunman walked up to the organist that happened to be Martin Luther King's wife and shot her. Years later, when interviewed by the press, how have you made it thus far, having had such incredible loss in your life? The untimely deaths of your sons and terrible death of your wife and your own escaping from the bullet that was intended for you. He said, how have I survived? He said, you've got to learn to rejoice in what you have left. Because you never lose everything. There's always something to be thankful for. I still got a reason to praise, right? So out of that context, Paul in his own chains writes this encouraging letter to this church and he heard that some of the Judaizers, that is, people attempting to take New Covenant Gentile believers and put them back into the Old Covenant law in order to be saved. And so he addresses that briefly at the first few verses of chapter 3. He also stated just how Jewish he was. He was Hebrew of the Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. He had the Torah memorized. He was mighty in 
that stream of the faith. He was done sharing his, his pedigree, as it were. And in verse 7, he said, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. All of our spiritual success, all of our testimonies compared to Christ, they're, they're not much. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Having written a good portion of the New Testament, not knowing he was doing it at the time, having received a lot of revelation, he counted all those things loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Is there anybody here glad that God has made you righteous? That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now here's our text. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been redeemed to be an instrument of redemption. Christ laid hold of us for a reason, right? So that's verse 12. Verse 13 and 14, he basically says it again. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, even though I know Jesus, I haven't arrived one thing I do, forgetting these things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? That's the reason we've been apprehended. So we are pressing to apprehend that for which we have been apprehended. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. So maybe there are some things we've attained in life that are godly, that are righteous, that are not distracting us from God's purpose. And whatever brought us to that point, just keep right on walking. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our values are not in earthly success. Our values spring from our heavenly citizenship. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, 
my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved, or beloved. Who wants to be beloved? You want to be beloved, be loved. Dan Moeller preaches we are called to be love, to become like God who is love. Amen? Love is not God, but God is love. Sacrificial love. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts in such a way that we leave here differently than the way we came, and that every day this year will be a day of us giving our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just remind you of these promises also, two other passages. Philippians 1, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Why are you still here? He started something he's not done with. And when complete, then you get to go home. He told a young minister in his last letter he wrote, Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, he says, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. The day of his departure was at hand. The things he wanted to see done that were not done, that he would not be present to be a part of, he was persuaded and believed that God would keep everything he committed to him until the day of redemption. Happy 22 to you, everybody. Amen. We're in a race. Sometimes you got to push. One of the greatest milers of his decade was Glenn Cunningham. In a meet at Princeton, he was trailing his perennial rival, Archie San Romani, until midway in the last lap. Here's a fine example of Cunningham's style as he turns on the heat with yards to go to pass San Romani and go on to win. A four-minute mile was far in the future, but in those days, Glenn Cunningham was the man to beat. Glenn Cunningham is the man credited with running the four-minute mile. He never actually did officially. He came close, and his, his example inspired others to actually break the four-minute mile record. Uh, he was such a record breaker, sometimes he would come in second in a race, and he'd break a record. Obviously, the first-place winner in that race broke a record, but even his second place broke the record. So those running against him were inspired by his example. When he was seven years old, he and his nine-year-old brother in rural Kansas had the responsibility one very cold winter, who's enjoying the winter this year. <laughs> Their task was to go to the school every day and light the potbelly stove in the middle of the schoolhouse and get the place warm up for when students arrive, because it's hard to learn when you're cold. So they filled the stove with wood and took the kerosene can and poured it on the wood and struck a match. Well, unknown to them, someone by mistake had put gasoline in that can. And it was an explosion, sent them both to the floor. Their sister was screaming at them to get out. They got out. They didn't know about dropping and rolling. They're just running like crazy. And somebody pushed him, Glenn, down. His brother didn't recover from the burns. Glenn survived and was sent home, told he wouldn't survive. He was not expected to live. 
The flesh was burned off of his legs in numerous places. These were the days before skin grafts, before the 20s. And uh, through the development of scar tissue, he was told he would never walk. And his parents massaged his legs every day and stretched them. His dad, he'd make his dad do it to him till his dad was too tired to do it. Then his mom would pick up the cause and stretch his legs and massage them daily till she got too tired to do it. Then he would do it himself, even though it was very painful. He was determined to walk. And one day out in the yard, he, he lunged off of the wheelchair that he was in and drug his body. His mother watched him drug his body to the picket fence, pulled himself up and drug himself around the fence line, making his legs do something. And he did it so much for weeks that he wore a path around the inside of his family's yard fence. Determined to walk. And finally he was able to somehow walk and found out it was easier to run than it was to walk. So he, if it was 10 feet, he would run easier to run than to walk, and uh, wound up discovering he was a good runner and became an inspirational all that knew him. Not only was he a champion runner, but he went on and became quite a student, earned his PhD, and uh, survived a terrible divorce, the two kids to raise, and was blessed with a second wife with whom he had 10 kids. So he's father of 12. They had a ranch for troubled youth. And over the course of his life, he and his wife helped thousands of youth. There's always a turnover going on. I think the record of the inhabitants on their property was like 87 people. So this guy was a guy of determination and inspiration for us all. Uh, someone who was determined to help others. Someone who remember what it was like to hurt, and inspired everybody that knew him. Glenn Cunningham, he was a believer. His favorite verse was in Isaiah 40. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Happy 22 to you. How to live right every year. In this passage are nine principles I see uh, that... I think any one of them can change your life. So don't view this as a formula or a recipe. Oh, if I, can, if I can get one through three, I'll be doing good. No, something in here is going to speak to you. That's the truth I need to hear today. And it'll change your life if you hold to it. Resist resting in accomplishments. Resist resting in accomplishments. Glenn Cunningham, the man I just spoke about, could have just rested in being a great runner and just made that the focus of his life. But he pushed ahead for more than just athletics, but to helping his fellow man. We just read, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. I haven't arrived, so I'm not going to rest on my laurels. I'm not going to sit back on my blessed assurance. Restore focus on God-giving purposes. Restore your focus on God-given purposes. So not that I've attained or have already arrived, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Who's, who's had the Lord lay hold of you? Why did he do it? Well, I was heading the wrong way. Well, if you think that's the only reason 
need to do some digging, some soul searching, some prayer, set some time aside each day to be with the Lord. Lord, what, what, what are you wanting me to do? Why did you apprehend me? Is it just so I could live a self-centered, successful American life? I don't think so. We are called to live for more than just us. To live right every year, we need to reach for the future and forget the past. Reach ahead to the future and forget the past. He reiterates what he said in verse 12 and verses 13 and 14. He says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. And he says this is one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. That's one thing. One thing. Uh, Double-mindedness is a recipe for instability. Double-minded man, James said, is unstable in all of his ways. If we focus on the past, the good old days, the way it was or the way it should have been, pining for a better past is a total waste of time. Pining for a better present based on the past is a waste of time. But reaching beyond our past, moving forward. If you're about to retire, why am I retiring? There's a new purpose. It's exciting. Some people retire without a purpose and they die. Die. So retire. Like Tom Stammon says, it's time to refire. Run toward God's higher call in Christ. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the reason he got a hold of us. Not just to be in heaven because he's lonely up there. I don't think he's lonely. He has himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there's a calling that he has in our life for us to fulfill. There's a purpose that he's called for us to press for push like a runner in a race. Um, I wasn't much of a runner, but I was better at long distance than short distance. And I remember I was running in a, uh, a co-ed 10K. Can't tell it looking at me now. And I was inspired by all the women that were running. I had to keep up with them, right? And ran too fast at the, st- the first two Ks. <laughs> Way too fast. So I suffered the remaining eight. But I pressed. My kid said, Dad, a lot of women came in ahead of you. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Press forward. Push ahead. If you're discouraged, take a break and find someone to encourage you. But just don't wallow in discouragement. That's not good. Find somebody to encourage if you're encouraged. In our discouragement, Paul knew the principle. If you encourage others, you'll be encouraged. When when Job prayed for his friends, his restoration began. We reinforce maturity through correctability. That is being teachable. Being corrected. Who, who, Who never needs to be corrected? Never? Never really? Let as many as are mature have this in mind. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So if we're going to be mature, we've got to be open to what God wants to reveal to us and to whom he wills to reveal what he has to reveal to us through that person. 
Sometimes, men, it's our wives. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> we need to renew unity with teachable believers. If your friends are all rebellious, how are they going to challenge you to press for God's upward call in your life? If they already know everything, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. That's not the kind of person to allow to influence us. To the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Notice the plural, the pluralisms in that statement. This is for all of us. We are walking for fulfillment of God's call in each of our lives and in all of our lives. God relates to us individually, but also corporately. That song, Me and Jesus Got My Own Thing Going, is not the will of God for us to make our life's theme. Got something going, thank God, but it's not our own thing, it's His thing, right? And His thing is a we thing. Amen. So are we walking in unity with other believers who are teachable? Are they correctable? Need to recognize wise mentors and pursue them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Join us. Join in following my example. Note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So I've got my Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. So I have the Holy principles. I have the holy presence, but that's just two-thirds of the picture in the Christian living. We have the holy people. And in the holy people are people that can mentor us. Well, I sure wish someone would mentor me. Well, mentors are not supposed to pursue mentorees. If that's happening, someone's trying to control you. If, if that's happening and you're receiving good counsel from people that are pursuing you to give it to you, that's maturity as well. But really, it's so much better when we see someone who's wise and we pursue them for wisdom. Don't go to the guy that has never started a business to seek counsel on how to start a business. Right? Don't go, well, you, you got the point. Repent from all ungodly influences. This is relating to the previous two points. Turn away from ungodly influences. For many walk, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross. There are some people, we're called to love everybody, but some people we cannot allow to influence us. They, they, they are self-centered. He goes on and describes how they are. And they're actually enemies of the cross. If you want to be popular in the world, um, you're going to come short of what God's calling is in our life. And final, finally, relate to Jesus with first love devotion. This may be the most important point. We started off reading in the previous verses today that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So I want to know Jesus in his 
power of his resurrection, right? But sometimes we get to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Sometimes we go through some stuff. And the testimony comes later on. (laughs) First the test, then the testimony. First the mess, then the message, right? So in those times, we get to know the Lord in the fellowship of his sufferings. Lord, you went through this for me? You ever feel like you've been slandered? You get to see what it feels like to be like Jesus, right? So do you slander back? No. You run to him for comfort because he knows what it's like. And be made conformable to his death, that is, you and I cannot live the Christian life. Christ lives it through us. This is where it's death to self. Not my will, but thy will be done. So it's relating to Jesus with first love devotion. It often includes returning to Jesus with first love devotion. There's a couple who've been married for 50 years and the wife was reminiscing while they're driving down the road in their pickup. She says, honey, you remember in our early days? He said, yeah. Remember how we used to sit together when we drove everywhere? Yes. I said, why don't we do that anymore? And he said, well, I haven't moved. <laughs> Lord, you remember how close? Uh, to the younger people back in the day, pickups had bench seats. Consoles are of the devil. No, I'm teething. Consoles are awesome. But you say, Lord, remember when we used to be close? The Lord would say, I haven't moved. Well, we have the promise. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Right into a church that had everything going on perfectly, except they had lost grasp of the why they were doing it. They lost their passion. And the Lord Jesus said, through John, dictating this letter to this church. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I'm going to take my blessing up off, up off of you as a congregation unless you return to your first love. Remember from where you have fallen, Repent and do the first works. It's three things. Remember how close you were to the Lord when you first fell in love with Him. Turn back to that and do the first works. When I first became a believer, I was five years old and I sang a little song. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That little song is under attack because there are little children that believe Jesus lives in their, in their, in the cardiac organ of their body and they miss the point of the song. But they were too late for me with their criticism. 
I got saved singing that song. What was I singing? I was inviting the Lord to come into my life. Come into my life. Come into my life. Come into my life. Lord Jesus, come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. So when I repent, when I realize I've, I've left my first love and I repent and I remember the first works, I do them. I sing that song again. When did you give your life to the Lord? Yesterday. What? And your pastor already? If the only time you gave your life to the Lord was 30 years ago, that's awesome. But hopefully every day you have followed through on that commitment. I'm just not that mature. I have to often renew my commitment to the Lord, sometimes daily, to Him. In researching that little song for this message, it was sung at Billy Sunday Crusades. God used that little song mightily, especially in the latter years. It was written by a guy from Wales. He wrote other songs, but that was a song he was most known for. And another verse to it is, shine out of my life, shine out of my life, shine out of my life. Lord Jesus, shine out today. Shine every way, shine out of my life, Lord Jesus. So in our commitment to the Lord is a commitment to let the Lord shine through us. May God help us to shine in 2022 like never before. You remember this guy? We opened the sermon talking about him. In conclusion, I want to talk about him. A lot of people do not know that the result of his in injuries, his right leg was two inches shorter than his left leg, and his left leg had no toes. So he's missing the toes on his left foot with a leg two inches shorter than the other, and he's winning races. And at least two of his fellow record breakers were from Kansas. Men whom he had influenced. Lord, I pray that you help us to be influenced by those who are committed to you and help us, Lord, to influence others to live a life of devotion to you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. You are still faithful in the powers. You are still good. All of my questions, you are the answer. It all points to you. You're the God of the breaking. I'm breaking now. You'll be working away. It's one thing I know You're still on your throne So whatever I'm feeling I've still got a reason to praise Praise, praise 
It's a new year. Who's glad 2021's out of here? But didn't God do some things in 2021? Amen. Happy 2022 to you. Lord, use us mightily for your glory in Jesus' name. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. His shalom peace, the peace that makes you whole, the peace that is not related to your understanding nor to any compromise, but on the finished work of our Messiah. God bless you. Go get him, Tigers. Praise.